Thank you for that. It is a privilege to be here. Um, it's, been an, it's been an interesting journey for Cindy and I. It's not necessarily one we would have anticipated, but we are so glad to be here. As, as Jeff said, I grew up in eastern South Dakota and uh, grew up in a very uh, small, a very small town. The town by the name of Astoria, and if anybody I'm not related to knows where Astoria is, you're unique among the rest of the... There's actually some people here who aren't related to me that do know where that town is. Um, there, was, there was a couple of unique things about my home community. Number one, there was only one church in my hometown, only one church in Astoria, which I didn't think was weird or, or strange or unique when I was a little kid. In fact, I remember riding or driving through other towns and we'd drive by the church and then we'd drive by another church. It was like, why does this town need two churches? I, I didn't quite get that. <clears throat> One of the other things that was unique about my home community was the youth group that I was privileged to be a part of. My older siblings, I'm the youngest of five, and my older siblings also were a part of this kind of unique youth group. It wasn't a youth group from our church. It was a youth group from lots of communities in the area. There were, there were kids from the neighboring town and, and one town even further away. And at one point in time, I remember thinking through it, because I was, I was trying to put it all in some kind of sequence. And it was one group from two different states. Some lived in Minnesota, some in South Dakota. I grew up just a few miles from that line. One group from two states, from three schools, from four counties, from five, and I kept going until I got, they were from seven different churches at that time. And, and again, I didn't realize how unique that was. But for me, my faith was nurtured in watching those people from that youth group. It started when my older siblings were a part of it, and I saw them and their friends living out a faith in Jesus Christ that made sense to them. And I watched it. And you know, when you're a middle school kid, you want to be the high school kid, right? I mean, that's, what, that's the next stage. That's what you hope for. And I watched these guys and I learned how to be a high school kid who loved Jesus. <clears throat> and through my parents and their friends and the people that were over, I looked at them and I, and I kind of got a vision of what does it look like to be an adult who, who knows Jesus? An adult with faith that was living and made sense. So it's appropriate this Sunday that we're going to talk about what it means to be a nurturing church. We're in this series about what, what God's purpose for our church is. And, and if you remember, we, uh, Pastor Jeff brought us a message on what does it mean to be a caring church and Pastor Vern, an, an evangelizing church. And last week, Pastor Bruce talked about a worshiping church. Well, this morning, what does it mean to be a church that nurtures? That nurtures faith. Well, when we lived in South Dakota, uh, Cindy 
was teaching and Cindy was a coach. One of the things, one of the sports Cindy coached was track. Now, if you look at me, you probably recognize track was not my sport. <clears throat> I'm not really built for track, or at least that's what I always told people who wanted to make me run. <clears throat> uh, but when Cindy started coaching track, she'd come home with these stories about this athlete and that athlete. This happened at practice, and I started going to track meets, and I learned to love watching the sport of track and field. It was really more and more fun every time I went. And the last event, if you've ever been to a track meet, you know that typically the last event is a relay because people stay in the stands for a relay because a relay isn't just about how fast you run. It's about how fast you deliver the baton from the start line to the finish line. So there's this added element, right? And this added element is somebody in the race has to receive the baton and then run and then they have to deliver what they have received to the next runner. That's a good image of what it means to nurture. Of what it means to nurture faith because we're taking that which we've been given by God and delivering it to another person with whom we run this race. And so if we look, as we look at that, I think about how do we pass the baton successfully? And in a, in a, in a brief look at that question, we're going to turn to, a, to a, some verses in Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy chapter 11. This is the reiteration. You'll find these words almost exactly like this, but not quite in, ver in chapter 6 as well. But this is from Deuteronomy chapter 11, verses 18 through 21. It says, Fix these words of mine in your hearts and your minds. Tie them as symbols on your hand and bind them around your forehead. Teach them to your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road and when you lie down and when you get up. Write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates so that your days and the days of your children may be many in the land the Lord swore to give to your ancestors, as many as the days that the heavens are above the earth." Father God, as we take a few moments to look at your word today, would you use your word to shape our hearts, to shape us? We ask in Jesus' name, amen. The very beginning of this passage is the phrase, fix these words. Well, if we're going to understand that, we probably have to think about what words are those? Which words, which word or words is he referencing? Well, these words, as I said, they're a reiteration of chapter 6. When they first show up in chapter 6 of Deuteronomy, they come shortly after the children of Israel have received the Ten Commandments. And they come shortly after the children of Israel have learned what today the, uh, the Jewish community around the world still repeats, it's a phrase called the Shema. 
And the Shema is this Hebrew phrase. I learned it when I was in Bible school from this wonderfully quirky Old Testament teacher by the name of Harold Hosh. And, and he taught it to us. He taught the first part of it to us in Hebrew. I still don't know why, but I still remember it. Shema Yisrael, Adonai Aduhenu, Adonai Achad. Hear o, Lord, hear, o Israel, the Lord is God, the Lord is one. And then it goes on to say, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and soul and mind and strength. That's the words that we're supposed to, that we're working with here. That's, that's what's referred to as these words. So how do those words, how do those words help us pass the baton? How do they help us nurture our children and our neighbors and our family and those with whom we run this race. I want to look at a few specific pieces. The first piece I want to look at is that first phrase, fix these words on your heart, uh, fix these words of mine in your hearts and minds, tie them as symbols on your hand and bind them on your forehead. There's a practice among the Jewish community still today, the phrase, there's, a, there's these things called tefillin. The Greek used the word phylacteries. They're, what they've come to be is this little box, little black box, and inside that box is tiny little uh, pieces of paper that have been, had scripture written on them, and they're in, it has the shema written on them, and then they tie these around their forehead and around their hand and arm during prayer time. And Orthodox Jews will still do this today as a reminder of these words, as a reaction to what the writer of Deuteronomy says, bind them on your forehead and on your hand. And it's a good image with, with one exception. The Hebrew word that we translate forehead is actually two words. The first word means a gap between something. And the second word is the word for eyes. So if we were, if we were going to translate this very literally, it says, bind these words in the gap between your eyes. Get a picture of that. Suppose instead of on his forehead... He's got that right here. That seems kind of ridiculous. So it's no wonder they put it up here. That's kind of, because if it was right here, I couldn't look at anything without looking around or, or through the word of God. That's the image in Deuteronomy. It's not the image of put this up on your forehead as a show to everybody else of, 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 of who you are and what you're about. It, God's word is supposed to shape everything we see. Everything we see, we're supposed to see through the lens of God's word. I think of more and more you're seeing people who who instead of a mask or along with a mask will wear a shield. 
That's the imagery here. The imagery here is this is supposed to be so prominent right in your vision that you can't even look around it without God's word shaping what you see and how you see it. The other thing it says is bind them on your hand. Well, again, that's a little ridiculous, right? It makes more sense. I'll put it up here and then I'll let the leather thing wrap around my hand. So it's kind of on my hand, but it's really up here where it's out of the way. Because if I've got that in my hand, I can't do anything. Because God's word, oh, wait a minute. Do you suppose what we do and how we do it is also supposed to be shaped by God's word? I think so. I think of how often I've taken God's word and I've, I've kind of gotten it out of my way. You know, let me move it up. Let me move it up here. Let me get it out of my way. And yet, and yet, if we are to be a nurturing church, if we're to nurture faith in those around us and those who run the race with us, nurturing happens when God's word shapes what we see and the way we see it and when God's word shapes what we do and the way we do it. Bind it around your hand and in the gap between your eyes. A second thing this passage tells us is to talk about them, these words of mine, talk about these words of mine all the time. It says, teach them to your children, talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road. You know, that's, that's BC speak for when you travel. We don't walk along the road very often, right? We've got faster ways to get around. When you travel... Sit at home, when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. That, that about covers it, doesn't it? I mean, if I'm not lying down or getting up or sitting down or traveling or walking, um, that, that kind of covers it. You know, I learned a lot, and I'll bet you did too. I learned a lot from my parents when they might not even have known I was listening I learned a lot from my siblings when they didn't even know I was paying attention. Some of it was good. Some of it I'm not so sure, right? But it's amazing what I picked up in casual conversation. Sometimes we think nurturing is this thing that happens in the church during Sunday school or in the evenings or in some afternoon or that's what's going on. And yes, nurturing happens at those times, but nurturing also happens when we're just hanging around the house or just traveling down the road. Had a conversation earlier this morning with an individual who was talking about taking his daughter to a cross-country meet. How did that go? He said, it was wonderful. I had, I had three hours of car time with my daughter and she couldn't get away and I couldn't leave. We just had to have conversation together. It was wonderful. He talked about the value of that. And I remember my dad 
there's a long story behind this, and, and I don't, I'm not going to take the time, but my dad had been a diabetic since he was 10 years old. And uh, a diabetic, when he was diagnosed with diabetes uh, in the 1930s, diabetic at that time, uh, we just didn't know how to care for them as well. By the time he was in his 40s, my dad had had his, his legs amputated because his circulation was bad. <clears throat> and I was sitting around one day talking to my dad, just casually in conversation. We were sitting around and I said, Dad, does it ever frustrate you or do you ever, do you ever get upset that God didn't heal your, the circulation in your legs? Does that ever bother you? And my dad said, you know what, years ago, I committed myself to Jesus Christ. And I told him that I was his. And if he wants to use me in this condition, who am I to argue? That, that shapes me still today. But it wasn't, my dad didn't call me into the room and say, son, come in here. I've got something profound to tell you. It happened just casual conversation. And it shaped me. It nurtured me. And so many other things that I learned from my parents and that I learned from others happened because they talked about God's word when they sat down and when they stood up and when they traveled along the road. Nurturing happens when God's word takes center stage in our lives. And shapes everything. Shapes our conversation. That's, that's when nurturing often happens. The third thing that I'm going to mention that says in this passage in Deuteronomy that it says we should write God's word on our door frames and on our gates. And I read about this and I read this and I thought, I wonder what's on my door frame. I wonder what's on my gate. Certainly, the writer of Deuteronomy didn't, didn't, wouldn't have understood what it looks like to live in West Fargo in 2020. So I'm thinking to myself, what does that look like? <clears throat> a little over a month ago, Cindy and I moved into our house. And you think, you move into a new house and you think, I wonder what my neighbors are like, right? I want to get to know my neighbors. I hope I can get along with them. I, I don't want jerks for neighbors, and then you realize that means my neighbors don't want me to be a jerk either. So, you know, you, you process all of that. <clears throat> but we picked up very quickly on what one of our neighbors was like. Because we drove in or when we drove by, you know, even before we bought the house, you know how you drive by? Even though you haven't taken possession, it's like, is the house still standing? You know, it didn't burn down, did it? It's still there, okay. Our neighbors have... Two or three political signs, two, two political signs in their front yard, and they've got a political candidate's flag on their garage, and they've got an American flag on their doorstep, and they've got two or three pendants or banners or flags from their favorite college sports team. We knew right away, those neighbors are likely to vote for Donald Trump, and they cheer for the bison. 
That's what we knew about them. That's what they wanted us to know about them, right? If they didn't want us to know that about them, they wouldn't put the bison flag, they wouldn't put the bison pennant on their garage door. Now, don't get me wrong. I'm okay with political signs on the front lawn. And I'm okay with people cheering for whichever college team they want to cheer for. Um, as a 13-year employee of South Dakota State, I hope you give me the same courtesy. <clears throat> That's another conversation for another time. But I had to ask, what am I known for? How do people know me? What is written on my doorpost? Because as a congregation, nurturing happens when other people recognize that it is the love of God, it is the love of Jesus Christ that identifies us. Even more than who we cheer for or who we hope wins. If we intend to be a nurturing church, it is to be God's word that identifies us. It is to be written on our door frames and on our gates. Triumph Congregation has a vision statement. And, and when I first started having conversations with Pastor Jeff and with others on staff, I, I went like most of us would, right? You want to know more about something, where do you go? Well, you go to the web, of course. You, you Google it or you, you know, you type it into your uh, web browser. And, and as I was kind of stalking Triumph's site, right, to figure it out, I came across this vision statement and it's compelling. Triumph's vision is to see the life and message of Jesus transform hearts and homes and cities. That's a great vision. That's a vision of a congregation that wants to nurture. The life and, and ministry of Jesus, the life and message of Jesus is what transforms. It's intended to be what is displayed and what is talked about in our casual moments. It's intended to be written on our hands and fixed to the space between our eyes. And if we allow that to happen, when that happens, we have the opportunity to take what is given us